I invite you at this time to turn in your pew Bibles to page 1,898. 1,898, where we find our scripture reading for tonight. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Uh, The main thing that John is trying to communicate to who he's writing to tonight, is a question that we should consider. It's a question that is important to us all. It's a question that we should wrestle with and deal with. And that is, at one point, we were sinners in the world. We were apart from God and without hope. But God, in his grace, came to us and by the Holy Spirit revealed Jesus Christ to us, and we place faith in Jesus Christ, and because we place faith in Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven of all our sins. But, What is a Christian supposed to do when they keep sinning, when they continue to sin? What do we do when we sin as believers? What are we supposed to do with that? How are we supposed to handle that? How are we supposed to wrestle with that? And that's exactly what John is dealing with in his letter as he writes to these believers. So my theme statement is going to be Um, what I believe is the main thrust of what John is teaching about that question, his answer to that question. What do we do when we sin as believers? What do we do when we sin as believers, as those who believe in Jesus Christ? What do we do when we sin as Christians? This is what 
I believe is the thrust of what John is teaching. True Christians mourn their present struggle with sin and continue to go to Christ well I got it wrong I like the way I worded it better on here and go to Christ Continually for deliverance. True Christians mourn their present struggle with sin and go to Christ continually for deliverance. Um, so the way I'm going to break down the text this morning or this, uh, this evening, is it evening yet? Very close to evening, two minutes from evening. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw in it's evening. The way I'm going to deal with the text this evening is a little bit different. Um, the way that I have it broken down, I received help from Steve Lawson in his commentary and his study on the book of 1 John. And it's um, eight, a, eight D's. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Got to love those alliterations. So, he deals with this in eight D's, Okay. That's what we're going to look at. But rather than just writing them all down here and then erasing them and starting up at the beginning, I'm just going to go through them one by one with you, right? So, John begins this section of our passage tonight with this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. So, verse 5 is the declaration. And this is the first declaration that John is making to his audience that he's writing. He's saying, God is the standard by which everyone will be judged. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all means there is no sin within God, that God is morally perfect, that God is holy. God is holy. God is the standard. God is the one by which all people are held account to. God does not condemn anyone if there is a fault in him. There is no fault in him, so he condemns all, right? There's no sin within God. God is morally perfect. God is holy. There's no error within God. He is always true. There's no falsehood in God. When John says God is light, in him there is no darkness at all, means that God is perfect. God is holy, God is perfect. That's what John is beginning his, this section tonight. This is the message we have heard from Jesus, right, from him, and declared to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But he continues on. The duped. Verse 6. There's an 
uh, interchange going on here. Remember, I told you about 1 John. He's writing this letter to a church, to these churches in this area, Asia Minor, who have been influenced, who have been infiltrated by these Gnostic teachers, these Gnostic teachers who say they have this secret knowledge, right? And this is what John is doing. He's sort of posing as these Gnostic teachers saying, this is what they would say, right? This is what they're claiming. So the duped. Anytime in this passage tonight when you hear, if we claim, or if we say, then what you need to understand by that is that John is now taking the position of these false teachers, these Gnostic teachers. And so if we say, or if we claim, is in reference to the Gnostics, is in reference to these false converts, these false believers. They're the ones saying this, right? If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we live in darkness, we are liars. We lie and we do not live by the truth. What is John saying here? He's saying, if we say we have fellowship with the light, yet walk in the darkness, we're liars and the truth is not in us. Walk here means lifestyle. It means the way you live your life in its entirety. It does not mean uh, you stumble and you fall. It does not mean that. It means this is the lifestyle you're choosing. This is the way you're walking. It is your normal way of life. It's your normal path of life. Darkness means sinful, corrupt, wicked, immoral. So if we say we have fellowship with God who is light, yet we walk in the darkness, yet we walk in sinfulness, we have a pattern of life that is sinful, it's wicked, it's immoral. We lie and do not live out truth. We lie and the truth is not in us. We do not live by the truth. Means we're a false believer, means that we are a fake professor, means we are saying that we are Christian, but we're not. You see what I'm saying? If you look at the Bible and it says this particular kind of lifestyle is a lifestyle contrary to the way of a Christian because a Christian mourns their present struggle with sin, right? They do not celebrate it. They do not have pride in it. But that person calls himself a Christian. They lie and the truth is not in them because they are living a lifestyle of sin in an unrepentant fashion. They do not mourn the sin they currently struggle with. They live it out. It is their identity. Then they are a false Christian. They may claim to be a Christian. They may call themselves a Christian, but they are not. They are a false believer. But what about verse 7 here? Here is the opposite side to that, right? If in verse 6... Um, John is posing as these false converts. Here, here in verse 7, he's posing as these true believers. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Remember, walk means lifestyle. Walk means path of life. Walk means typical way that you live, typical way that you pattern your life. And the light means not perfection. And the light means not without sin. It means growing in truth, growing in holiness, growing in sanctification. 
Then we have fellowship, means that we're, we're part of the body of Christ. We are true believers. We're not a false professor like these others, but we belong to the body of Christ. We belong to the body of believers. And we can have confidence then, because we are part of the church, because we belong to the body of Christ, that our sins have all been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. That our sins have all been forgiven. That Jesus, God's Son, the God who is light, purifies us from all sin, from every sin. One of my favorite words of the Lord's Supper are those words. That we can know the body of Christ has been broken for the forgiveness of some of our sins. All our sins. But the only way you can have confidence in that reality is by knowing that you're a true Christian that mourns their present struggle with sin and goes to Christ continually for deliverance. You do not live in sin unrepentantly. You do not comfortably live in sin. You do not have a lifestyle of sin. You are not walking in sin. There may be seasons of a true Christian's life where they find themselves in a pattern of sin, right? But if they are a true Christian, that will not be a forever season. There will be a season which God will bring them out of by conviction of their sin. And if someone is a true believer but finds himself in that situation where they're getting into a pattern of sin, a pattern of lifestyle that is in the darkness... They should have no confidence. That they are a true believer. They should read the passages in Hebrews that warns them of false conversion. Warns them of those who walked in the ways of the Lord who have now departed. They should be convicted by those and challenged by those. John is talking about very serious stuff here. And it's important that we understand that as well. In verse 8, we're back, flipping back to the deceived. Here you see this interchange, right? This back and forth, right? He's now back to talking from the perspective of these Gnostic false teachers. Verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, remember, if we claim means John is taking the position of these Gnostics who are, who are talking about being without sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves. So we have no sin. The Gnostic teaching is a duality. You can go and you can find uh, these Gnostic beliefs. And basically this duality was the duality between spirit and body. And the Gnostics believed that only, the only things that mattered were the things that happened spiritually. And nothing that you did in your physical body mattered. But they used this as a license to sin. They said, here's my spiritual life and here's my physical life. What I do in my physical life doesn't matter, but what I do in my spiritual life matters. A very kind of bizarre 
expression of that nowadays would be somebody who says, well, on Sunday I'm a Christian, but every other day of the week I'm not, right? But this is how their duality took that. They would say, only what you do spiritually matters. What you do in your body doesn't matter. So they use that as a license to sin. They would say, I can have sex with whoever I want to because whatever I do in my physical body doesn't matter. And so, because that's not really sin, the only sin that matters is spiritual sin. You see what I'm saying here? And so they were going around saying, I'm without sin. I do not have sin anymore. John says they're deceiving themselves, and the truth is not in them. Only spirit matters, so what we do in the body has no significance, led to immoral lifestyles and the downplaying of sin. We deceive ourselves. Self-deception is deeply powerful. Self-deception gets to the very heart of the kind of messages that you're going to see in Disney Channel these days. Trust your heart. Believe in your heart. Believe in yourself. Right? All of those messages about trusting your heart, believing in your heart, going after, chasing what your heart's desire is, is contrary to the biblical worldview, which says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? In fact, the Bible doesn't say trust in yourself, trust in your heart. It says lean not on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord who will make your paths straight. Self-deception is a very powerful thing. It's the means in which our sinful heart can take to justify and rationalize wickedness and corruption in our own lives is mind-blowing. How many gymnastical leaps we'll make to say, well, this isn't bad, this isn't wrong. How many times do you have to see somebody leave their spouse and say, this is what God wants for me. God wants me to be happy. God wants you to sin by, by leaving the one you're supposed to be faithful to? I don't think so. Right? But this is how our mind works. We will justify and rationalize behaviors. We will give ourselves excuses to do what our sinful hearts and minds want to do. And it's self-deception. Then the truth is not in us. And when John says the truth is not in us here, I often think of the personification of truth. John, in a very real sense, is saying the word of life which came into this world who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is not in you. Light is not in you. God is not in you. Christ is not in you. John is saying to these Gnostics who are saying these things, these false teachings, you have no confidence in your profession. You are a false believer if you're claiming these things. And it can be a frightening thing to remember those words that Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 7. We, he said, some, some will come to me on that day and they'll say, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that in your name? Did we not? And he will say what? I never knew you. The declaration of sin. Verse 9. In verse 9, John then says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us 
from all unrighteousness. So now he's back to taking the perspective of a true believer, right? If we confess our sins, means to say the same thing about our sin that God says about it. When we confess our sins, we're saying, God, what you say about my sin, I say the, I say the same thing. I agree. I agree about it, right? It's, in a very real sense, taking responsibility. It's not making excuses. It's not trying to downplay what your sin is. God says your sin is so horrible that it deserves eternity in hell. And you say, God, you're right. I agree. If we confess our sins, if we say the same thing about our sins that God says, then he is faithful and just. It means God has promised forgiveness because of Christ and is just so cannot hold against you a sin that his son has died for. How can he be faithful and just? It's because he's faithful to forgive you in Jesus Christ and he's just not to hold against you any sin that he has placed on his son. Because he is faithful and he is just, he will forgive us. means we will no longer feel the weight and guilt of that sin. And he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. means that God not only forgives us, but also in that continual repentance is working in us and restoring to us the image of God. Isaiah chapter 1, God reasons with the people of Israel. And he says, come, your, your sin is as scarlet. I will make it white as snow. This is what a true believer believes and understands. They know that even though in Christ all of their sins have been forgiven, that they continue to struggle with sin. They continue to commit sin. But they know because of the work of Christ, the completed and perfect work of Christ, that Christ is always there and he is always making intercession for them. And so that he can go, they can go to confess their sins continually and, re, and, and regain a renewed sense of that forgiveness, regain a renewed sense of that fellowship that we're called to have with God, regain a renewed sense of being surrounded by the God who is light and in whom there is no casting of shadow, there is no turning, there is no bending. We can have that because of what Christ has done for us. Faithful and just. The denial of sin. Verse 10. Once again, back to the position of the, um, the Gnostics, these false teachers. John then says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Uh, if we claim we have not sinned means that you are claiming you're perfectly upright and moral and have never fallen from the glory of God. It means that you're claiming to be God, in essence. You're claiming equality with God. We make God out to be a liar if we say that we have never sinned. God says, you're a sinner. We say, no, we're not. You're calling God a liar? In verse 6, John said, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Now, John is saying, this is flipped. If we claim that we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar. 
That means then his word is not in us. Consider earlier when John said, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. This is the message. This is the word we proclaim to you now. The word of life. For the word to not be in you is for you to be a false convert, a false believer. It's for you to be someone who claims to be in Christ but is not. So then we continue. Through this chapter break, by the way, there's no chapter breaks in the original language. So this is an unfortunate chapter break here because I believe this whole section belongs together. Um, In verse 2, 1, the deterrent to sin. Verse 1a. John says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. My children, my dear children, my little children, my beloved children, this is something that John will, will say a lot in his letters. And at this time of writing, most historians estimate that John is in his 90s, so everyone's a little child to him at this point in his age. John has already acknowledged that a Christian can sin, a Christian will sin. What should we do when a Christian sins? That's the whole issue that he's struggling with here, right, that he's figuring out. But that a Christian will no longer live in sin. A Christian will no longer swim in sin. No longer take pleasure in sin. No longer make sin his pattern of life. But John says when we trip, when we fall into sin, that we cannot enjoy that sin anymore. True Christians mourn their present struggle with sin. Because they understand and they know that their dear Savior paid a painful price for that. That he experienced hell on the cross for their sin. And how can you find joy in something that brought such pain to your dear Savior? So John then tells us one of the reasons for writing this letter. So that he may encourage these dear Christians to turn away from sin. Turn away from sin and live in the light. John says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Is he saying, I write this to you so that if you read 1 John, you'll never sin again? No, he's saying, I write this to you so that you may not be deceived by many of the false teachings and false teachers that have entered into your church and have begun to deceive you about what is sin, about how you're supposed to live as a Christian with the reality of sin that you continue to struggle with and that you might be deceived into falling into sin. I write this to you so that you may not sin, that you will not sin. This is something that we need to understand. Forgiveness of sin does not mean freedom to sin. Forgiveness of sin does not mean freedom to sin. Have you ever heard people say, God has forgiven all of my sins in Jesus Christ, 
And that all I got to do is just believe in Jesus and all of my guilt is taken away. <laughs> well then, let us party. You know all you're doing there? You're just showing that you're not a true believer. You're just revealing that you don't understand salvation. Forgiveness of sin does not mean freedom to sin. In fact, forgiveness of sin should be a deterrent to sin. Oh God, I don't understand why you keep forgiving me because I keep struggling and I keep struggling, but God, this is something that spurs me on. Your grace and your mercy It is the very essence of why I desire to grow in holiness and godliness. You see, to sin as a Christian is to dishonor God, to sacrifice our joy, to forfeit spiritual power in our lives, to dull our ministry, and to even harm our witness. Why would these be things we would desire to do? So John writes to these Christians, and he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But here's the problem. We do sin. So what do we do in that situation? What do we do when, what do we do when a Christian sins? The defense of the Savior. It's always got to happen at least once at this point. The defense of the Savior, verse 1b through 2. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, I want you to know something very, very important. In this long sentence that the NIV uses to translate, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense is one Greek word. And it's a Greek word that you might, might know. Paraclete. Advocate. And it's a Greek word you might know because in John's gospel it's the same word that he uses for when Jesus says, I must go because I am going to send you a comforter, an advocate, the Holy Spirit, one who is going to come alongside you and aid you. John says, I am sending you. When John says, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. And that is a, a, a good rendering of this because this is what John is talking about. What do we do if we sin as a Christian? We have an advocate, a comforter, an ally, a defense attorney. And he takes our case before the Father. And who is this advocate? Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one whose blood cleanses us from all our sins, the one who is the perfect, righteous one. We have someone who, when Satan accuses us and brings all our sin before us so we can point to 
and say, he died for those sins. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have a defense attorney so that when Satan comes, who is the accuser, into the courtroom of heaven and brings us before God and says, look, isn't this a sinner? He's horrible. He's wicked. Look at all these horrible things that he's done. Didn't you see what Carrie did this week? He was short with his kids. He yelled at them. He was impatient. He was uh, unkind to his wife. He said these uh, horrible words and he had these horrible thoughts. What are you going to do about that? Then Jesus can say, God, I did something about that. I did something about that. I died for those sins. When we do sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Always before the Father. And don't you think it's interesting that when we hear of Jesus in his resurrection body, when we hear of Jesus in his resurrection body, we find that he still has his wounds. He tells Thomas, Thomas, come, come, put your hand into my side and see that it's me. Don't you find it interesting that in Jesus' glorified resurrection body, he still has his hands with the nails where they were pierced and his side where he was pierced. And I, and I think to myself, why is that? And I wonder, what could that possibly be for? And I think to sometimes maybe it's because when he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, he would have present on his body the very marks of the reason why God can no longer hold against us our sins. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the propitiation for our sins. His sacrifice has satisfied, it has appeased, placated the wrath and justice of God. He is the sin-bearing substitutionary work of Christ alone. That is the only work that can take away our guilt and, and, and our deserving punishment. And Jesus, he pleads the merit of his shed blood before the Father, and no accusation of the devil can stand against it. He is the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And what does John mean by this? And there are lots of people who are not Calvinists who would look at this passage and say, doesn't this destroy um, the doctrine of election? As um, those who are Reformed would understand it and explain it. Doesn't this do that? Because John says uh, he is the propitiatory sacrifice for our sins. And then he says not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, Besides the fact that you have to take into account the various meanings of the word world. Even in John's very own gospel. In the same chapter John will go on to say... These words, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? But also John says in his gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John says in his gospel, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Besides that, there's a, very, a couple of ways that we can understand, a couple of ways that we can understand what John is saying here. Right? 
The first way that many um, Reformed theologians have understood what John is saying here is this. That John is saying he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And when he says our, he's referring to Jews. But then when he says not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, he's referring to the rest of the nations, the Gentiles. Um, I don't find that argument um, very good because John is not writing to an exclusively Jewish audience. He's writing to a variety of churches in the area of Asia Minor who are at this point uh, mixed Jew and Gentile churches. But another way in which you can understand this is that um, John means that not only did Christ die for the believers he is writing to, which means limited to their time period and geographical area, including himself, right? He's saying he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, meaning John and those who he's writing to in their typical geographical location and their time period. But for all believers down through the ages, from the beginning of time to the end, not limited by time period or geographical location. That's what I think is meant when John the Baptist says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Which means any sin that's taken away from the world is taken away by Jesus. The curse, which is something that has affected the entire cosmos, is restored, taken away by Jesus. That's what I believe John is stating here. He's saying not only for us now, but also for all believers. But in all honesty, if you want to press into the universal character and nature of the gospel, there's nothing wrong with simply stating John 1 John 2, verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Declaring that from the rooftops, no explanation needed. Because even the canons of Dort says that the gospel should be proclaimed promiscuously. That all deserve to hear the good news of the advocate, Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what do we do when a Christian sins? True Christians mourn their present struggle with sin, and they go to Christ continually for deliverance. They go to Christ knowing that in Christ they can confess their sins. In Christ, they can go to him who is their advocate, their defender before the Father. In Christ, they can know that their sins have been cleansed. They're being purified from all their sins. In Christ, they can know that he will forgive us of all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In Christ, we can know that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. True Christians are not comfortable living in sin, but as they continue to fight against sin, as they continue to struggle against their sin, they know that they have a Savior that they can go to, that they can turn to, that they can seek in times of need. Amen. We pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could come again tonight to learn more about our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would leave this place knowing how joyful it is to have an advocate like Jesus Christ who defends us before you, 
who has taken away all of our sin and given us a gift of perfect righteousness. We pray, Lord, that we would walk in the light as you are in the light, that we would have fellowship with one another and that we would know that the blood of Jesus, your son, purifies us from all our sins. We pray, Lord, that we would know that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we pray, Lord, that we would know that if we do sin, we have one who speaks to you in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, our atoning sacrifice for sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand